Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing media marketing and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today I'm sitting down with Mark Jarrett, Chief Executive Officer, PhD Media Group in Australia. Welcome, Mark. Thanks, Darren. Thanks for having me. Look, uh, PhD for me is a very distinct media offering in that you seem to be the smart boys and girls on the block. Do you think that's a reasonable positioning from your perspective? Uh, I don't think we're necessarily the the, the, the smart people on the block um, because every, everyone's smart. It's just uh, how you approach the um, uh, how you approach the market and how you approach problems that's uh, that's maybe a bit a bit different. So um, we certainly believe and focus on. Um, the upfront thing of things. So, what's the strategy? What's the innovative idea? What's the uh, what's the thing that's going to make a, a genuine difference to um, a client problem? Uh, because innovation, great ideas, are going to sell more things than trying to trying to win the incremental battle of making things one percent uh, cheaper or, or different at, at the bottom end. Okay, but even in what you said, then is actually quite focused on things like strategy and innovation and and solving the problem. Whereas a lot of conversation in media has been and continues to be things about, you know, trading and and planning and who's buying better. And, you know, it's it's definitely been at the sort of money transaction exchange rather than the problem solving part. Yeah, and I um, I think that's because the money transaction stage is something that's easy to measure. Um, and you can uh, you can make a black and white judgment um, as a client, as an auditor, um, uh, and some of the things that I was talking about then um, are much more difficult to, to measure in, in absolute terms, um, and something that's more difficult to, to measure becomes something that people don't want to talk about or they don't want to try and measure, um, and they'll bring it back to uh, to a base that's, that's easier to measure, which... Uh, gets your result and an outcome at the end of a, a meeting or presentation, but maybe doesn't always get you the best result. But in some ways it's focusing on the implementation rather than the, the sort of problem solving, isn't it? I mean, I, I well, get it is. Your, it's yeah, a shame, I, isn't it? I get your point, right? I get the point that just because something's easier to do is why people are focused on that. But in actual fact, you know, you can buy the cheapest media in the world. You could be the hardest negotiator, you could, you know, but if you're not actually doing the right thing, there's no point, is there? Well, there isn't. I think um, I think at the extreme end, you, you sometimes get the, the classic, the tail is wagging the dog. You're, you're, you're the, the outcome that people sometimes are after is to get the cheapest media which has no relation to selling the most product. And surely as a client, you should be trying to sell the most product, have an outcome for your business, not a, not a media outcome. It should be about a, a business outcome. Mm-hmm. And look, you don't need to be the best negotiators by the cheapest media. You just need to uh, uh, buy terrible media in, uh, in bad placements where people can't see it. Well, that's true, isn't it? You know, yeah. there, there is plenty of, uh, let's say, crap inventory out there that can be bought relatively cheaply. Yeah. Um, 
or, or even uh, you can take uh, crap inventory and package it up and make it look good, you know, so, uh, which some people have done as well. The, I won't get you to comment on that because, uh, but one of the interesting things is that, you know, could, you would have to say during your career, media has become more challenging because it's become more complex, hasn't it? You know, audiences have become complex, channels have become more complex. You know, that there was a time when there was you know, a handful of media channels. Now there's hundreds of media channels. Yeah, uh, hugely more complex and it's, it's probably made it's probably made media more important than it was. I'd, I'd certainly say when I when I started on my career, um, the limited numbers of choices that were available um, to a to a, a media planner or a media strategist mean, meant that there was so much that you could do for the client. But ultimately, it was ninety percent about the about the creative work. Strong creative um, was what was going to make all of the difference. Um, I still think creative is uh, is more important than the media in terms of the uh, the final outcome to clients. But I would say the uh, what the media agency does and, and the channels and the routes to market available are now um, a huge part of the mix, rather than maybe only sort of ten or fifteen percent of the mix a, a long time ago. Um, but as well as all the additional complexity, accountability, especially in the, in the digital space and, and others that, that's come with it. I think that complexity has also um, uh, clouded people's judgment and understanding of media as well because it's become so complex within itself that um, it's sometimes hard for clients who don't and shouldn't be spending that much of their time on media to really understand where the, uh, uh, the right areas to probe are. Because mm. the other thing that's changed in a way is that media was traditionally about getting awareness, wasn't it? You know, the days of television, when television was the sort of go-to media channel, even in the UK, um, have sort of been usurped by the fact that now media can actually be used at every point in the purchase process, you know, um, especially yeah. digital. All, all, all the way search. So and all, and all the way through to uh, e-commerce, and obviously uh, e-commerce is the hot topic at the moment, as we've experienced, I don't know, four or five years growth in the last four or five months um, uh, through COVID. Um, but I think, um, I think yes, media can be used much more through through the funnel holistically. Um, but I still think fundamentally, um, its predominant role is still to to drive that top of the funnel, fill the funnel, create the awareness against the occasional and light users and then convert them through through that funnel. Um, because every single marketing science piece that you look at shows that the, the Ehrenberg-Bass theory is, is just so applicable um, at every level of marketing. You need to get that exposure out there to create that conversion through in, into your, your digital, uh, digital sites. Well, the only reason I've brought it up, Mark, is that, you know, I talk to people that are virtually spending all their money at the bottom of the funnel. You know, they call it digital media because they're basically buying conversion, you know, through paid search and the like, where they're converting people that are at that point in the purchase process and making a decision. Yeah. And they call that media. Right, and yet you're sitting here saying yes. Well, in actual fact, it's actually more at the top of the funnel, and yes, we facilitated. So it seems to me that depending on whether it's scale, sophistication, 
uh, strategic insight, there's almost like two different approaches there, isn't there? Well, um, there could be, but I, I don't think there should be two different approaches there. I think it has to be both. Both is the both is the answer. Um, I think some advertisers will, will maybe only be at the top of the funnel, Pro- probably almost no one now, but there will be a huge amount that are just at, at that bottom part. But I think the problem for them is they're, they're optimising themselves um, to a, a much smaller share than they than they deserve. So, yes, the it's optimised to the nth degree of everything, but if you doubled your base and doubled your sales and it was 1% less efficient, you'd probably still be extremely happy. And I, I think what you're seeing, um, if you look at some of the... Um, uh, new categories that, that are growing is you're seeing some of those online uh, e-commerce retailers that have always only played in the digital space actually becoming more broadcast because they're seeing an opportunity to well, massive, fill, massively fill massively grow their business. Because um, So it has to be both, yeah. That's one of the tricks, isn't it? That's one of the tricks that search has pulled off is to make you think that every customer is waiting there and that you don't have to keep topping it up because... They'll just keep bringing it to you, and on last click attribution, that's the only place you should be spending your money. They've got a they've got a better measurement system, but just because you've got a be- better measurement system doesn't mean it's better. Um, it needs to work with uh, with something that, that that's feeding people to it. So I mean, there's the whole dual screening thing that everyone's familiar with that. You're watching the, the TV and you're you're ordering uh, you're ordering your whatever you're ordering through uh, through Google. Um, you're not ordering that because of Google. You're ordering it because it's on a broadcast medium, and then you're mm-hmm. then uh, reacting to that. But yes, when you then look at the analytics, if you're not viewing it holistically, you attribute all of that to your your search spend, and then keep doubling your search. <laughs> putting money into it. Yes, keep putting until, money in there. Until suddenly the return on investment starts to dry up and then you scream, what's gone wrong? <laughs> but you could probably still make it more and more efficient, but with uh, a smaller and smaller uh, actual base of, uh, of customers, yeah, yeah. which is now, a shame. You, you mentioned before, you know, e-commerce, we've gone through a, a phenomenal uh, change in the last six months with the pandemic. And... and not just retailers are, are sort of accelerating it, but you know brands are looking at ways of having that direct tra- you know, purchasing relationship as well. What comes with that, of course, is a huge amount of behavioural data as well that uh, brands can then use and retailers can use. Is that the other big complexity that's happened in media? But you know. Years, let's say two decades ago, even there was probably two or three sources of, you know, readership and viewer data. Now there's thousands of sources, aren't there? Yeah, which is uh, uh, is always viewed as a blessing, but uh, can be a curse at the same time because who's going to properly look at thousands of uh, thousands of sources of data uh, by tomorrow and make a decision based on that? So I think people really understanding what they want to get out of their data, understanding that they're never going to have the perfect answer, but making sure they're really clear on what the next step on a particular roadmap that they're trying to take to improve what they're doing rather than just look at everything um, is crucially important. But it takes investment as well. So I think um, I think one of the one of the real paradoxes of of 
the way the whole digital and data ecosystem has has grown over the um, over the years is the assumption that technology equals efficiency equals less people and and less jobs, um, and it's true in some industries, but in our in our industry in particular, um, by being so much more efficient, having so much more information, understanding how to um, uh, target target people um, in a better, more efficient way, we're actually adding to that whole process um, uh, collectively in terms of the amount of analysis we do. And I think that there has to be a balance between what you're looking at, what you're getting out of it versus um, just trying to analyze everything for the sake of it. Mm. Um, And and also, you know, we're starting to see more and more application of things like artificial intelligence to AI to, to grind through a lot of that mass data and at least put it into formats where you know, people can, you know, smart people can actually make sense of it and get insights from it, aren't we? I mean, that's the next big evolution. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, data visualisation is, is just, just so crucial to that because if you can't pull out all that information in some way that's meaningful, um, it's just so difficult to, um, to, to make something of it in a, in, in a useful way. Um, but yes, the, uh, the, the growth of data is, uh, is great, um, but only if it's used in, used in a, in a way that's going to lead to something that you're specifically trying to do. Um, I think there, there is always a danger of people, over relying on data to look at all sorts of measurements that are, are perhaps either um, deflecting from what they're actually trying to do or, or just a bit of a red herring, yeah. 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 Now, going back to the idea, and uh, you know, I know you said, no, there's lots of smart people, but the idea of a PhD is the sort of smart media operation. Um, and I say that because, you know, Mark Holden, uh, and is he global strategy or something? He's, he's got some uh, very grand title. Chief global strategy. There you go, chief. officer. We'll go well, with that because he was in Sydney. He at, was, at, yeah. PhD, and and yeah, you know, he's written, you know, wrote a number of books. Um, and PhD is one of the few media agencies that seems to have this commitment to exploring ideas and sharing those ideas. Because, you know, I've got that collection of books. Yeah. In my office, there's almost half a shelf that started to fill up. Yeah, we must be up to about eight books, nine books, I reckon, we've published. Yeah, at least. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, that's quite a substantial uh, investment as far as, you know, what, what is it, do you think, about the culture of the agency that drives that? I think um, uh, I think if if we're um, if we're looking to um, drive genuine innovation to clients, you, you need to have your own opinion on things and things that are emerging and things that are uh, are new and different and worthwhile. Um, and I don't think you can have that if um, you're always adapting to the client need. So it's it's this client wants this, so we'll. we'll work in a way that their marketing department works, which is which absolutely you need to do and is, is a great model. But I think having your own clear opinion and way of working that appeals massively to half the people out there and, and maybe doesn't appeal to half the people out there is, is a is a really good way to go. But I think also if you're engaging an agency, you want smart people who have a, a clear opinion about something that's relevant now that can have an effect on their business and, and change, their, change their business. So 
a few of the things that we've done have, have been around um, AI and machine learning and um, uh, and how then AI is actually being uh, adapted and merged into uh, in, into into humans. Uh, two of our staff, Unforced, did get um, did get themselves uh, microchipped for uh, for one book that we launched, but that was completely voluntarily. I can uh, I can assure <laughs> you of that. Um, uh, but, but one that's uh, that's really worked for us is uh, um, we did a book on on challenger types. So yeah, yeah, um, overthrow. Uh, yeah, overthrow. And we've done overthrow too. It was yeah. the, uh, the the one that was so successful that we we wrote a second book on the same subject. Um, and that's just really engaged clients. And you always talk about overthrow and challenger brands. It's like, well, it's got to be something that's really small. And, and how does that work from for maybe a larger brand? But but broadly, every brand has a has a challenger challenger mentality or type to it um, to really engage with consumers. So you think of the, some of the biggest brands out there, like Apple. Um, they were they were and are a challenger brand in the way that they portray themselves. Yeah, I think it's a misnomer for people to think about challenger brands as being small. Yes, I mean challenger brands can be small, and they become challengers because they're taking on a bigger com- uh, competitor. Yeah, but the big brands that build a culture of challenger yeah. are the ones that are constantly keeping ahead. I mean, Amazon has to be seen as one of the you know quintessential large challenger brands. Yeah, even to the point of view of having a CEO saying to shareholders, "No dividends for you. I'm reinvesting back in the business." And and I think um, I think I think the context where you said a challenger brand is is challenging competitors. I think that's. One part, one part of it, challenging bigger competitors, but a challenge brand could be challenging a way in which society works or an entire industry. Um, there's lots of different ways of that, uh, that a challenger brand can can uh, manifest itself, and it's not necessarily just about I want to move from number six to number two in the in my particular market or niche. And that uh, overthrow work started with a collaboration with Adam Morgan, who yes. wrote Eat the Big Fish, yes, which is the sort of start of the idea of challenger brands, wasn't it? It was, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, we worked with Adam Morgan on that book, and he uh, he even came back to uh, to help us with the second one as well. Exactly. Now, at the second one, you have, in fact, online you have a. Uh, a survey or a quiz that you can do to work out what sort of challenger brand. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, admit that I'm a um, enlightened Zaga. You're an enlightened Zaga. That's my challenger brand. Well, Not surprisingly, it's also the challenger brand of the company Trinity P3. But uh, did you? There you do, go. Yeah. So, you so I'm I'm a people's champion. So uh, it's uh, all focused on. Uh, on uh, us about promoting uh, everyone internally, giving everyone uh, a fair go. Um, I think of the, the kind of core values in there. The interesting thing about that quiz was I was like, oh, the, it's another one of those quizzes where they just spit out an answer. Um, like a Facebook quiz. Yeah, and I, and I, I did it two or three times. It kept coming the same answer. But um, our finance director got some uh, some quirky uh, challenger type. I can't remember which one. And uh, He's uh, he's quite focused on numbers, so he was outraged outraged that he was uh, he was too much of a challenger. But he did it like six times. It still kept coming out with the same answer. So uh, uh, Mark Holden, who I'm sure put that together, has done uh, done a, a pretty good psychological job on putting those questions together. Well, I have to say it actually uh, was incredibly insightful because it put a framework to what I then reflected on was a way of thinking and behaving. 
you know, when everyone else is zigging, I'm always zagging. So that's what the Yeah, I think that's probably true, Darren, yeah. The, the yeah. enlightened <laughs> zagger. So I really appreciate that. And, and it is actually good. I mean, everyone talks about doing doing it themselves, but it's actually really good to do with with, uh, with your brands um, or if you're, uh, if you're a large company with, with different brands or sub-brands to see how they how they fit together or how they're going to behave. So um, we certainly use it a lot with, with clients in terms of um, actually workshopping their brands and the, and the messages and the, and the ways they want to approach market. So that's on overthrow2.com, I think it's yes. called. It yes. has its own website and you just find your way to the um, to the survey yes. to actually find out. And, and as we said before, I mean, it works for anyone. It works for small brands, it works for startups, it works for major brands, it works for, you know, companies that have multiple brands. Yeah. It's, it's in... in a terrific way of getting you to sort of review or refocus on what the core driver of your business is. It is, and I, and I think also what what it comes out of in terms of the survey is is great, and it might be right, it might be wrong, but I think what's more important is that you're then having a conversation and thinking about it, and you can stick with what comes out, out there, but you suddenly moved from... Uh, what can sometimes be a, a difficult space to really work out how you're going to have that conversation to some real clear frameworks that have the conversation, start thinking about it, work out what you're going to do. And the catalyst for all of that is what's what's probably more important than anything else. So come on, Mark, that's pretty smart. Isn't well, it? Well, I mean, you're... Uh, we don't go to say, yes, we're smart. <laughs> I, I didn't be so humble. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble. <laughs> I never said we weren't smart. I just said there were plenty of smart people Other out people. there as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, all right, that's true. Um, well, one of the th- big challenges that uh, the industry, especially uh, in Europe uh, with the WFA, is confronting is, you know, and they've called it the holy grail, which I think is a bit of oversell, but the holy grail for it's me... Probably is hard to find as well, though, <laughs> so it might be accurate. <laughs> is uh, cross-media measurement. Yeah. You know? And this is something that's been around for years. I mean, people have talked about having a methodology for measuring across various media channels, haven't they? Uh, yes, uh, for ever since, uh, 20 years they've, 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 uh, or more, they've, they've, uh, people have talked about it. Um, and I think uh, many people have got halfway to, to solving it in, in different ways. Um, so we've got a product that can do cross-media in terms of reach, um, and with client data can do cross-media in terms of the effect it has on, on client measurements. But plenty of other agencies will have ways in which you can look at um, uh, reach from that perspective as well. And, and certainly phase one of, um, of uh, the WFA project is about that cross-media reach, So, which to me is like, I think quite a lot of people have kind of, kind of cracked that one already. Um, Phase two is, significant, is, is significantly more ambitious. Than, yeah. Sorry, Before Darren. we go on to yeah. two, yeah. let's go back to one because you know in, I get the feeling reading the publicity. I haven't read the 80-odd pages in the framework that they've put forward and that framework is now being sort of tested and implemented by the ANA in the US and ISBAR in uh, the UK. But it seems that they want to get a universal platform. They want to get a universal uh, methodology, you know, because what you've said is agencies have uh, their own solutions, 
but it's it's almost like they're trying to come up with the you know a, a unified approach to cross media measurement, isn't it? Yeah, but then when when you read, but then if you then look into the 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 detail, it's still then a set of principles that then need to be implemented at yeah, every single local, every single local market um every single local market level. So you still end up with a whole whole heap of different <laughs> ones of them. Uh, anyway, a wider shade of pale. You you will do so, um, and. I mean, reach is not reach, which is the phase one stuff. That's not that complicated. It's like, has somebody seen seen that message in in a medium of, of any particular particular type? Um, it's only when you get to phase two and you talk about the impact of that that it becomes uh, becomes a very different conversation. So, phase phase one makes a lot of sense, but I feel that that's just standardising something that that already exists um, in many different shapes and forms. Yeah. yeah, I also um, was interested that they picked up framing this around GDPR, and that you know part of this is privacy for consumers. That you know it was going to solve the problem of uh, flooding consumers with uh, advertising. So free, yeah. it's a free frequency, frequency, yeah. frequency capping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and what did you did you pick up on that? Um, well, I think fr- frequency capping is. Uh, is good. Um, it's good because um, uh, it doesn't piss people off when they see the same ad forty-seven times. Um, it's good because advertisers aren't wasting money, and so um, there's uh, there's some major wins there. But I think if people just frequency capped an individual media with conversations with that particular media owner or that particular channel, you'd get ninety-five percent of the way there anyway. The um, the frequency issue isn't that I've seen it three times on TV and three times uh, online. It's when you've seen the same ad 47 times on the same feed, on the same channel, because nobody's paid attention to that, that's when it's a problem. So I think um, I'd, I'd, I think that's uh, an aside that should be addressed at a much more basic level. Mm. And uh, at the same time that we've got cross-media measurement happening, there's a local, uh, sort of a local move around measuring uh, engagement and cost per thousand on engagement. Uh, Karen Nelson Fields written a book, The Attention Economy and How Media Works. Yeah, and look, there's um, there's a whole heap of, of um, common sense in there um, that Karen's then turned common sense into, um, uh, she's measured the common sense. Um, so a, a lot of it is um, if you're, on 25% of the screen and only half of your ads on 25% of the screen, it's not as good as if you are on the whole screen. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does go into more, more depth than that in terms of it looks at the relative attention people are paying to paying to pieces um, and does challenge the concept that when a 30 second ad comes on TV that um, uh, or through your, your Facebook feed or whatever else it is that you suddenly pause the entire world around you and you stare at that screen and analyse it for the full 30 seconds, um, which I think when we're reviewing and, and developing work, we often uh, view it in that way, even though that's not the way the consumer views it. Um, but it does show that as soon as people are paying partial attention, you're actually getting um, uh, a huge kick in terms of the way people engage with it. There's some interesting things about branding and, and how much uh, branding should be um, uh on the screen or not, which uh, uh, I'm sure if you read it in detail, um, uh, that would be at odds to the creative purity of the message that um, 
that uh, uh, certainly some of my creative friends would would, uh, would would rather in terms of the brand just being the, uh, the the bit at the end that pays for it as opposed yes, to yes. being the, through it. This message was brought to you by oh, what was the brand? And and look, and I think well, because the, the, the research shows that people fill in the blanks. They're filling in the blanks about I'm not sure what brand this is. Um, until the end. So if you actually tell them up front, um, uh, that can work as well. So look, there's um, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of common sense in there, um, and there's a lot of builds on on some of the Ehrenberg Bass work that was done a few years ago that that Karen was also uh, involved in as well. Um, because there was a book, would be almost uh, more than fifteen years ago, called the um, Entertainment Economy and the Attention, and and another one, the Attention Economy which said that, you know, one of the problems increasingly for anyone wanting to influence uh, public uh, discourse was getting people's attention. You know, the, the one thing is get, that's getting harder and harder to do is actually engage people. I mean, but we see long-form content, um, you know, people sit down and stream Netflix programs for a weekend, you know, when they uh, don't have other commitments. Um, and yet, you know, Advertising seems sometimes to have given up when we talk about six-second ads. It's interesting, isn't it? Well, I, I, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it's how important is advertising in people's lives in the context of everything else. Um, and the answer is not not that. Um, like the latest innovation on this particular washing powder versus that awesome series on Netflix that's going to keep me really fascinated and entertained for eight hours that that's the relative uh, relative choice that um that people are making so i think it's important to recognize that um that people are going to be receptive to your message briefly and if you can make some sort of an impact there then that's going to affect their purchasing behavior mm. um and that's why it's so important to ensure that you reach such a broad spectrum of people um, rather than we've got a beautiful message that reaches 4% of the population that are core buyers because, A, they're probably going to buy it anyway. B, they're 20% of the people that actually buy your product and you're missing out on the other 80%. Um, so that, that broad reach piece in terms of how you engage with those people, even as, for a short six seconds, is really important. And that links back in the, in the same sort of principle to how we were talking earlier about um, digital media and search and last critic attribution and the need to feed the funnel more broadly to make sure that it's actually getting fed holistically and you're not just optimising your creative message or your, um, or your final conversion to, um, to, to death. So it's hugely efficient, but you've got hardly anyone there. Yeah, because yeah. uh, you know, what we're seeing now is an increased challenge of being able to deliver the, the, the right message at the right time in the right environment as well. Because that's the other thing that seems to, in a lot of these conversations... I think, I think the challenge is scale. I think, I think it's easier, to easier than ever to deliver the right message at the right time but then to do it at scale. Yes, because you can uh, build audiences um, uh, either with the tech giants, um, uh, with Nine, for instance, with, with some of the uh, products they're bringing out, um, uh, with uh, specific uh, builds that the um, agencies have in terms of um, uh, data uh, 
uh, data access as well. So you can build those specific audiences and you can deliver those right messages at the right time. But if you haven't got scale, it suddenly becomes incredibly inefficient as well. So yeah. I, th I think that the scale is the challenge. It's not hard, it's not hard to do the... Uh, uh, the targeting, the targeting and the delivery. It's, and the, it's doing it effectively at scale. And what about the component of engagement that comes down to environment, you know, where those messages appear? Well, that, that then comes back to um, uh, having intelligent, smart people actually doing your planning for you and thinking about the overall um, impact that your message is going to have and also the type of... Um, the type of engagement you're trying to deliver upon. Are you trying to deliver awareness for a brand new thing that people don't know anything about? Or are you trying to get a specific message across about something that people already know? Because that's going to change the, the type of medium um, uh, and the way in which you're going to want people to uh, engage with that particular message. And even the content that's appearing in that medium. Yes, the content. The content is still, is still the most important thing. Yeah, because yeah, one of the things that I've noticed is a lot of the conversations, for instance, around you know, programmatic, is that it's talking about the numbers. What the, what's the data telling us? How are we going to reach this audience, and where are we going to reach? Yeah, you know, but it's not doesn't often you don't often hear in the conversation about well, what's the actual content that we're going to be appearing in? Yeah, you know, it seems that in the use of technology to deliver scale, that sometimes the environment that it's going to appear in becomes secondary. Yeah. Look, that's reasonable? I think, um, uh, yeah, I half agree with that in terms of I think um, the, um, the context or content that it appears in is hugely important. I think at the same time, um, if you're having the right conversations, you can still develop... Um, white lists and black lists of um, of um, the content to ensure that you are appearing in the right sort of environments. Um, there's probably another add-on in terms of making it more premium again, but you can you can still um, further access more premium content in the, in the programmatic space. So those conversations um, exist. Um, you can deliver um, premium environments through the programmatic space. Um, but you need to make sure that you're you're engaging in those sort of conversations, and and yes, too often it does um, move back to a, a numbers only focus. It doesn't have to be, not, and it doesn't have to be in the programmatic space either. Because you know, a lot of people talk about math men or math people to be inclusive, um, increasingly in especially in media, because so much of it is is being data informed. Yep. I, I prefer data-informed than data-driven, but, you know, data-informed. But there is still an art, isn't there, to media? Uh, there is. I think there is um, a, a need for a, um, uh, a lens on what all the considerations are of what the data is telling you, and somebody needs to put that together. Um, because if there wasn't an art to it, it would be very easy to do a couple of runs this says 80%, therefore let, let's, go, let's go and book that. And the, the level of innovation, interest um, and engagement you'll get from the consumers is going to be so, so limited. Um, whereas if, if you put some real thought into it, um, you, can, uh, you can create stuff that um, delivers um, uh, as much as five times the level of ROI um, 
that just um, plonking in the right place will. Mm. Um, you mentioned before about the importance of content uh, and as part of the equation. Yeah. You know, it's not just about reaching an audience. No, it's also serving not. up the right message and, and, and executed in the right way. Do you think that uh, we're seeing a trend towards, you know, Agent, uh, creative agencies and media agencies working close together, or even some, you know, not putting the tooth back in just of the tube, as Harold Mitchell said, no. you can't put the toothpaste back into the tube. Yeah. But certainly that we're seeing a, a closer relationship. Do you think that that consideration is driving it? That there is an increasing recognition that you know content and channel are inextricably linked. I mean, you said before you think content's more, slightly more important, mm -hmm. but in actual fact, they're totally codependent. I mean, there's no point buying the right media if you put a nothing no. message, and there's no point uh, having a great message if you're buying the wrong media. Yeah, but I think if you uh, if you made the uh, one of the best five ads of the uh, of the year, it wouldn't matter where the media uh, well, stuck in. The, the it, industry then, uh, will know all about it. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. the general public don't care yeah. unless it's funny, and then yes. it goes onto TV yeah. or or onto some online YouTube video that says the funniest uh, commercials of twenty twenty. Look, I think they they are they are becoming. Uh, more and more important to each other, um, as opposed to um, uh, the the separate silos that potentially they they had become. Um, uh, but but fundamentally, there are so many more grey areas um, that all agencies are are moving into and needing to understand that um, uh, you can't help but but start working in in all those all those different areas. So I think it's driven more by the the depth and breadth of choice and the uh, um, and the greyness of all the um, all the interaction and all the crossover, um, as opposed to uh, as opposed to anything else. I think when it was it's this or that, you, you maybe did one or the other and that was it. But it, it's just it's just too complicated now for for, for it to be that clear. Yeah, because uh, one of the best models I've seen of putting the two back together is having the data and uh, collected and analysed up front, you usually buy a media agency because they're infinitely more adept and used to collecting data yeah. and working with data. That then feeds into developing consumer insights that then informs the creative process to come up with the content and the channels at the same time because it's actually that focus on the consumer insight through data, data informed, that actually puts the two back together, doesn't it? It does, and but that's been. I worked on a quite progressive client fifteen years ago that were integrated communications planning. Let's get the information, the data. Let's understand what we're trying to achieve, who we're trying to achieve it with, before we then go and draw all the pictures. So we we actually understand that we need to appeal to these people, and they need to um, they need to consume it in these channels. So making a TV ad when we're going to spend ninety percent of our money um, uh, on outdoor oh, for a yeah. simple thing is not is not um, is not is not the way forward. Um, and that's just on steroids now. Fifteen years later, in terms of we actually need to understand how that's going to going to drive some sort of message all the way through. 
at a six second level through search, through our e-commerce offering, yeah, whatever. It's not that is. as prevalent as you may think, is it? I mean, it's know. it's not as prevalent as it should be, no. Yeah, but there's still a lot a lot of marketers, advertisers that need to be thinking about this as a way of working. I mean, I absolutely agree, and especially those that have rich customer data, because that's the starting point: is knowing your own customers and then going to your media agency and partnering with them to get all of that additional third-party data that they have access to, and then using that to then brief the creatives at the same time as you're selecting. Yeah, you know, and, what, and what's going off strategy. Yeah, and and being able to find people who are who are a bit like your customers as well, because yeah. they're going to be nat- have a natural propensity to that. Yeah. Um, but also to, uh, and I'll come back to it again to still ensure that that reach and that message gets to a, to a broader audience beyond that as well. Um, but yes, I think um, the challenge with that though is um, is time, resource, effort, um, pressures internally on on so many other targets um, and elements that a marketer has to look after. Um, it becomes very hard unless you're extremely well resourced to to do everything in in the right order and the right way and hit all those deadlines. So yes, um, uh, and it would be good if we saw more of that. Um, but at the same time, um, there's a lot of other pressures and, uh, and debating it is slightly different to uh, making it happen in the real world. So, look, uh, Mark, I've just realised that we've run out of time. It's been a really smart conversation. I'm going to say that to you. Um, and thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Uh, just one question before you go. With everything that's going on in the world at the moment, what's the one thing that keeps you awake at night? <laughs>